like Pastor taught about, um, you know, last month, when we were doing that series, that we must learn to interpret our lives as spiritual people in line with the word of God. Say, Lord, this evening, as your word will be coming forth, let my mind be renewed. Father, we thank you. Begin to give God thanks. Because indeed, he has answered you. Indeed, you will hear things today that will change your mindset about a lot of things. Father, we give you praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, we have prayed. Praise the Lord. Our Bible reading will be taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 to 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 to 14. I read, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the crowd, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, the most, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as example for us, that we should not crave evil things as they, were, they also craved. And do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and we are destroyed by the serpent. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and we are destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instructions, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptations will, but with the temptations will provide the way of escape also, and you may be able to enjoy it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Praise God. All right, praise the Lord. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, you give me an amen. Amen. Say that amen again. All right, before we say, take our seats and start um, studying, let's take our declaration of understanding. Are we ready? Those who are not used to it, can you put up your hands so we can dash you a copy of this magazine? Okay, I believe we all know it by heart now. All right, let's take that declaration. One, two, let's go. Now, now I declare that the Lord has given me this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will. No spiritual wisdom and understanding as a result of this. I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 I said amen. amen. That will be your portion today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, can you greet somebody on your left and your right? Bless the person. That's somebody a blessing. All right, the Lord is good. 
Let's take our seats. The Lord is good. All the time. The Lord is good. Alright, we took our Bible reading from that first Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to title the short meditations I have for us uh, today and maybe next time. I want to title it, um, Neither Momo Ye. That's taken from that um, first Corinthians chapter 10, where we took our Bible reading from. Neither Momo Ye. And, you know, the, there's something the Bible says there, that these things were recorded for our learning. Please don't forget that. It said these things were recorded for our learning. That's, uh, which verse is that? Huh? Yes, verse 11. It said, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. He now said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. you see the significance of that in a moment, that verse 12. What I want to bring out is that he said that these things were written for our instructions. For our instruction. These things were written so that we would not make the same mistakes that the other people made. So he said here, we must not murmur. I just took that from the uh, King James. He said, neither murmur ye. That is, I want to bring out the issue concerning murmuring that we Christians must be careful we do not get involved in. I've talked about this here and there over um, that I've been preaching over this year, that is this particular year. I just feel like putting the things together this evening for us to bear it in mind very, very strongly. Now, let me start by explaining that, you know, I keep on saying this again and again. Let me start by explaining that it is not true that God does not punish Christians. I want to start by saying that it is totally not true. Let's not get the impression that God does not judge Christians, that he does not punish them if they do what is wrong. That principle is so important we get it right. And whatever they do, he just allows it okay, to go. This is not true. The Bible says that these things were written for our examples. They were written so that we'll have an example. They were written for our instruction so that we will not behave the same way the people behaved. If you look at the tone here, Paul made it clear that if we be, behave the same way they behaved, we also experience something similar to what they experienced. It's very important we get it, because I think a lot of times Christians live carelessly. And the reason why they live carelessly is because of this wrong teaching. The reason why they live carelessly is because the fear of God, the literal fear of God, you understand, is missing. You know, I said something earlier at the beginning, that there are two things I really have in mind I want to teach believers in this season. But the second one, I may not have time to get into it. And that second one is I want to teach on the fact that God is the judge. It's very important we understand it. Because, you see, we must learn to fear God. We must learn to fear God. People don't fear God. It's very terrible. But they don't fear God. The reason why Christians behave the way they do is because they don't fear God. Sometimes, you know, of course, all of you have seen the kind of things that have been going on. Of course, you know, you know, we've been saying that it's a season where God is judging a lot of rubbish that we have been doing. And I've seen the embarrassment that pastors have been healing the same sick person, forgetting that this has been videoed. Now, the whole world has seen that five of you did the same miracle on the same person, who we all know is an actor. And it's really an embarrassment. But you know, it is not new. You know, for people who don't know it's happening, for you it may be new. But for some of us, we've heard of it before. 
once my there's one pastor that was speaking with my wife. He told my wife some time ago, he said, Madam, things are happening. And he began to tell stories of how a, a, a man came to town. You understand? And somebody called him, like said, please, oh, uh, Pastor Kemote, please, I have a friend coming to town. Can he stay with you? All right, he just stay overnight. He said, okay, no problem. I'm a single man. I have some space. And when the guy came, he was carrying a big bag. He was wondering what's inside this bag. Let's make a long story short. Let me not bore you with details. You know what was in that bag? A wheelchair. Now he carried it. He could walk. Not a problem. Then there was a program happening in town. This pastor went to for the program. So he just said, okay, this, my guys are doing the program. Let me just go and attend one of the sessions. And he got there, saw that man staying in his house in a wheelchair. Suddenly the man was in a wheelchair. A wheelchair he carried by himself, transported from Lagos. And the special minister in that program proceeded to lay hands on him. Now, after letting some local preachers pray for the man first to show that they don't have power, that one, of course, did not agree to get up until this minister now laid hands on him, prayed for him. He gently got up slowly, and then he was healed, in quotes. You get the point? And then, so this, man, this pastor was just giving my wife this whole gist. One after the other. Some people that were arrested for trying to stage some miracles, and the, the women were paid 1,500 naira per slot or something, about 1,000 naira, to come and tell some lies. A woman would deliver a boiled egg. A boiled egg she kept in before the program began. I would deliver it where everybody is watching, and they would say a witch kept it inside. And she would do that for 1,500 naira. Please go and tell those who act those things, the actors. Some of them don't know anything. So God will give them a, lot, a little time to repent. But for those who know, what problems that they are pretending like they have will come upon them. I'm not cursing anybody. I'm telling you what will happen. You know, when I saw that one, I didn't laugh. I felt very bad. But the, of, of course, I didn't know it would happen like that. But we knew things like this would happen. But what am I telling the whole story? My wife used to say, when, when, they, say, when they took her those things, she would come and tell me. Tell me that. Is it that these people don't fear God? Yeah, that's why, that's why I began the whole gist. That they don't fear God. Why would you do that if you feared God? Christians think that God doesn't kill people, but he kills people. The same God faced Moses and decided after commissioning Moses, now please, don't believe the lie that is a God of the Old Testament. The same God he was then, that is what he is today. He has not changed one bit. The fact that Jesus came has not removed the fact that he punishes people when they don't repent. He has always been a merciful God. Mercy is not new to him. You say, but Jesus came. Listen, it was because Jesus was going to come that David experienced mercy. It was because Jesus was going to come that Adam experienced mercy. When, Jesus, when God sacrificed an animal to cover Adam and Eve because they had leaves. He could have made his own leaves. He did not. He took his skin. The point is that he had to take the life of an animal to cover their sin. That was why he clothed them with um, skin. That was what he did. Now, that animal that he sacrificed for Adam and Eve was a sign that is not really a sign now. 
It was a deposit for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm going to say is that the coming of Jesus, Adam enjoyed it. The coming of Jesus, Eve enjoyed it. Abraham did. All those things, every time they offered a sacrifice, every time somebody, you know, they would say, take an you know, we give an offering. And God smelt a sweet salvo. Listen, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. In those offerings, he had no pleasure. Jesus said, therefore, I have come. Now, all of those things were given as a token. Like, okay, you offer this in the place of the true sacrifice that will come later. What am I trying to say? That, listen, the fact that Jesus came does not mean we start misbehaving. I had a man preach. I used to like some of his messages, but I had to stop listening to him because every time he stands to preach, he has to emphasize that Jesus has taken away punishment and nobody will be punished. I said, he said that, he made a statement. He said he used to say that God will judge America. He said, but God can't judge America because if he judge, judge okay, that he used to say that if God does not judge America, he will have to apologize to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said now he has changed his mind. He now knows that if God judges America, he will have to apologize to Jesus Christ. That Jesus has taken the judgment. Therefore, God is not going to judge America. Because Jesus has taken the judgment. So God will not judge America. And am I saying God will judge America? I'm not discussing America. But that premise is wrong. Because Jesus had taken the punishment when he judged Jerusalem. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Jesus himself said it. He declared it ahead that the judgment for Jerusalem is coming. What, what, what did he say? He said, because, listen to this, of the blood of Abel, all the way down to the blood of Zechariah, that was shed between the porch and the altar. He said, I will bring it upon this generation. So how will I do it? I will give them more prophets. So his disciples that they killed after him were the ones that triggered the punishment of Jerusalem. So that the place was leveled and the temple was left with not one stone standing on top of another. Like he promised. That was a few, that was some years after, about 70 years after his death in Jerusalem and resurrection. Why did his sacrifice not cover that one? Have we not read the book of Revelation? That when it comes, the mountains will melt like wax at his coming. People will be hiding from Jesus himself. Please, let, let nobody tell you that God does not judge people. Or that he does not judge Christians. It's not true. In fact, what Peter explained is just that he's long-suffering. Listen, he knows how bad his judgment is, so he doesn't like to start. So what he does is to give you time. Give us time. Say, let me not punish you. Punish yourself. Judge yourself first. When you will have judged yourself, you will not be judged. In fact, Paul said, it can be so bad, you'll be condemned with the world. Is that not what Paul said? He said, there are three stages. Maybe we should just read that. So we will read something. I'm, say, I'm getting to, just trying to introduce something. It was under the Corinthians. So anybody telling that God does not judge Christians, preaching as a gospel of grace, 
Please, though, the person is not giving you a balanced doctrine. No. It's not the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It was talking about handling the body, that the, the communion properly. Let me just start from verse 27 because my Bible breaks it there. Where I'm going, of course, is verse 32. Therefore, whoever is the bread or, brings, uh, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He said, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and in number sleep. He said, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. Now, please notice this. If we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by Satan. Huh? Sorry. Which Bible are you reading? Are you not a modern-day Pentecostal Christian? But when we are judged, we are disciplined by whom? By whom? We are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. What does that tell you? That is, there is a possibility. If God does not take the action that he's supposed to take for a Christian to be condemned along with the world. I didn't say it. Who said it? Scriptures. It's in the Bible like that. We can't create our own doctrines. We have to follow what is written. A man was preaching. He said he doesn't believe that Jesus is a lion. That maybe John was not seen properly. When John called him the lion of the tribe of Judah, he said the fact that, he, this is what he said, that you are having visions, you can still be confused. Now, I agree with him. People have said they had visions and they were confused. They said they went to hellfire and they saw women who were in hellfire because um, they used hair extension and they used makeup. I believe that those were lying visions, because they are lying visions. But then upon what premise you tell me that John, with the revelation that God showed him, being explained to him by angels, was confused. His argument is that Jesus is a lamb. And I actually saw a lamb, he thought he saw a lion. You know when I heard the man say it, I said, somebody forwarded it to me, I said, this is supposed to be a joke, right? They are the kind of, that's why I won't tell you who said it. I just laughed. I said, the bros was joking. You know, I joke a lot of times when I'm, saying, when I'm doing some things. I joke. So I think he was joking too. I hope. But see, we want to fit the whole thing into the narrative that Jesus is just soft and tender. He doesn't ever do anything. does not hurt people. But it's not true. Once an argument with some brethren, they said, God does not cause sickness. I said, then why did Jesus say that woman, Jezebel, I will cast down the bed of affliction and I will strike her children dead. That Jesus, I was talking, if she does not repent. And I was talking to a Christian because she was in the church. You must understand, listen, read your Bible well. Paul doesn't, didn't used to bother himself with unbelievers. When he says to you, Alexander the Coppersmith did me much evil, God will pay him according to his works. He was talking to a believer. He was a church member. When he struck down and killed Ananias and Sapphira, they believed. It is not true that they were not Christians. They were Christians. It's just that they made doing what was wrong a habit. 
Some people say that uh, is that God doesn't do such things these days. He does. Actually, he does. And many people have been killed by him like that. But why it's not so common is simply because in the whole body, the purity is very low. I don't know whether you get my point. It's low. So those who lie are not distinguished liars. They are common liars. So you have to extend his patience. Because Ananias and Sapphira were telling lies and trying to create problems when nobody else was doing it. That's a matter of fact. See, I can say I will talk about God the judge later because there are some principles of his judgment. Jesus looked at a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And he said to them simply, that all you men carrying stones, all of you are adulterers. For that reason, there is no way to judge this woman. No way. Absolutely no way. What I've told you is a matter of fact. That's what he said. So when he showed her, in quote, mercy, I say it was more of understanding, not mercy. There was mercy in it. I'm not saying there's no mercy. Because God has said it earlier. He said all the men are homemongers and are idolaters. He said, for that reason, I will not punish your daughters when they commit adultery. That's what he said. So that's why you don't see some of those things so much. I mean, why would God strike Ananias and Sapphira dead when Peter lied to collect the offering? I don't know whether you're getting my point. If Peter came up and said, God spoke to me, that anybody that will sell his land, he's going to reserve one moon for him when they get to heaven. And a whole planet will be created for the person, for eternity. Now, if Peter came and lied like that, all the liars in church that day, they are forgiven. But because Peter did not lie like that, James did not lie like that, John didn't lie like that, Matthew did not lie like, lie like that, Philip, none of the apostles did that kind of thing. Everybody came with a clean heart. Then Ananias and Sapphira now produced the evil that they refused to repent of. The fact that you have given your life to Christ does not mean you have repented of all evil. Did you hear what I said? Was not here the other day we read the story of um, Simon. That Peter said he has said in the goal of bitterness. I hope you're getting my point here. But the Bible says he also believed. Simon the sorcerer believed. So please, let's get it clear. So that's why you don't see things like that. But the point I'm going to emphasize is that he actually does. He does. I've said there are three reasons Christians have problems. One, there is ignorance. Two, there is what? Trial of faith. And then number three, there is the just recompense of reward for disobedience. And any time we Christians have issues in life, we must look at those three options and be sure what we are dealing with. Because if we take our problems, you know, to the Lord in prayer, and we pray about it, knowing these three things in mind, He will let us know the one that is that the matter is. He will let us know. Because many times people need to repent. They are rebuking the devil. Because they rebuke from that till tomorrow. The problem is not going away. It's only repentance that will cause you know, relief for this confusion. Like we read last time, in repentance and in rest you will be saved. It is not true that Christians are never punished. 
people assume that, therefore, they don't fear God. They assume that, and therefore, they don't go out of their way to, that is, how do I say it like now? That is, to put in the extra effort, effort to strive to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. Because sometimes it can be difficult. But when you realize, you understand, that it's important to the Lord and he will punish if we persistently disobey. I use the word persistent because it's slow to anger, the Bible says. But like I always say, if you're slow to anger, and what, what does that mean? Eventually he will get there. Eventually he will get there. Ken Hagen has made a tremendous blessing to my life. Listen to a lot of his messages. And he was a prophet. Among the things he used to tell us. Now, there's always somebody who expressed something, okay? You just see the truth inside what he's saying. You may disagree on letters, but look at the truth behind what he's saying. He said, there's a man, many times, not once. There are people he want to pray for. For there's a particular one, he said, he put his hands on it. Because he was a prophet, he used to have those manifestations. He put his hand on the man to pray. And then he felt somebody remove his hands. So, he just assumed that maybe he was putting too much pressure on the man's head. So he opened his eyes to look, and the man didn't seem to be the one doing it. So he put his hand back, closed his eyes to pray, then he felt somebody grab his hands and remove them again. So then he said, Lord, what is going on? He said, don't bother praying, he's going to die. He said, don't bother praying, he will die. Why is he going to die? He's still a young man. He said, listen, I've waited for this length of time for him to change his ways, to judge himself and change his ways. He has refused. He said, now, there's nothing you are going to do. He's going to die. So there was another man that they wanted to pray for. It's as if he, got, he had a tongue tie. He wanted to say healing. All you hear is bless. Ah, why can't I pronounce heal? Why is it that it's only bless I can say? The only thing told that because the man is going to die, there's nothing you can do about it. Why? He said, because I waited for him for this length of time. It took a long time. So he said, this man has never lived straight for more than six months at a go. And someone come and tell me that God does <laughs> I said, look, I don't know the God that you serve. I don't know where you read about him. If he's the one I read about in these scriptures, the Bible says it's a terrible thing to fall into his hand. And he was writing to Christians. You have to be careful when you're reading the scriptures to know when he's talking to unbelievers and when he's talking to Christians. No. <laughs> you know. Oh, God. I think I'm already preaching my message on God the judge. Even though I didn't plan to start it now. Sometimes things will happen. And I'll open my mouth like, what? Is that fellow stupid? Do you know the consequences of what you are doing? The other day, you were telling me, you know, you were telling me about one brother that I said, because the father was looking for, trouble, uh, for peace in the house, he knelt for his wife. I said, Kai, is the woman stupid? Your husband kneels for you. You should lie on the ground and say, sir, don't do that. Before you said it, I need to happen. You said the woman died. I said, of course she had to die. You can't give your husband that amount of trouble and he kneels for you and you're standing there like Jezebel. Angels will escort you out of the house. They will. People don't fear God. That's the problem. They don't fear. People take actions every day. They don't fear God. You cheat people. It's because you don't fear God. A Christian is doing business. You smuggle bad goods for somebody to buy and he pays you money. Let me tell you what God does to Christians. In replacement, they will sell you fake metal rods to build your house. 
There are things you can't pray. I, I pray we understand it. There are things you cannot pray them away. That was why Paul said, if we sin willfully, there remains no sacrifices for such sins. That's what he was talking about. I'm going to say that, listen, everything has a consequence. Some of them, the Lord is not even angry. It's just a natural consequence. It's not like he's angry. It's just a natural, when I say natural now, he has structured life like that. That is just a consequence of that behavior. The blood of Jesus does not change it. The soul that sinned dies even after Jesus rose up from the dead. So what does Jesus do? He said, if you confess and forsake the sin, then there's forgiveness in his blood. But if you retain the sin and go to church and say grace covers, Jesus said, no, you are joking. You have become a mocker of God. And the blood does not cover that anymore. These are the things people don't understand. So they don't strive. You must understand something about resisting sin. There are different levels of resistance to sin. The height of it, the Bible calls it the shedding of blood. Are you getting my point here? He said you have not yet resisted sin to what? The shedding of blood. So sin has, resisting sin has different dimensions. There's a shedding of comfort. There's a shedding of fame. There's a shedding of friends. You become isolated. Nobody likes you anymore. There's a shedding of money. Do you get my point? Your goods are taken because you believe. You don't make money because you don't participate in how everybody else is doing it. But this is the height of the resistance to sin. It's called the shedding of blood. That for some people, they will resist sin to the shedding of blood. And usually that one comes to at you know, when people say deny Christ. They say, no, sorry. We don't try. We have accommodated you enough. You won't push you to that level. That's why you be having a lot of Christians that you think they are wishy-washy Christians. When God possesses them with his spirit, they will put their neck down. They won't deny Christ Jesus. But the point I'm making is this. A lot of people don't resist enough. A little bit of pressure they give in. Say things were hard. What they call things were hard, it was time to pay house rent, and I couldn't pay. What they call things were hard, it was time to pay children's school fees, I couldn't pay. What they call things were hard, I had only one pair of shoes, and that was, was in fact, I had been to the organizer twice. I needed to buy a new one. Some people are very silly. And, you know, all my friends were traveling abroad, I didn't have money. You know, those are not even bothering at all to resist. But I'm going to emphasize something here. Many people don't bother resisting because they just assume there are no consequences. They don't go out of their way just to put some effort into saying no to what is wrong because they just assume there are no consequences. They just assume there are no consequences. When you are a man especially, but if you are a parent, you are head of a home, whatever, one of the reasons why you even resist more is that those that live in your house, they are affected by your sin. 
You'll be committing one sin in Abuja. Your son in Enugu will suddenly start liking drugs. Cocaine will be appetizing to him all of a sudden. Look, listen. You know that is because of what this old man is doing in Abuja. There are girls who are promiscuous simply because of their father. There is no talk you want to talk. They have no self-control. Because an adulterous spirit was poured into the home by the behavior of the person in charge. People don't get it. They think things have no consequences. They do anything they like. And let me tell you something, pastors, that God will judge. The Bible says, woe to you if you say to a sinner, it shall be well with him. For those who are listening to this and you feel that you are called to ministry, it's a terrible job. No, it's a terrible job. It's a risky, risky job. You are held responsible for some things you did not even know. Seriously. You are held, that is, you are held responsible. James said it like that. He said, your punishment is double. So when they say, please, who will come and teach? He said, excuse yourself if you don't want punishment. Say, of course, if you accept the job, be disciplined. There's a problem with being a preacher. A lot of us are trying to be good. We pass one side in that we try to stick with what is right. And many Christians, preachers, they pass that one well. You know where a lot fail and they are still held responsible? When they now withhold from saying what is right, they just don't say anything. It's still punishment. It's one of the disciplines I have to go, go through in ministry. Like yesterday, I was going through the message I preached last Saturday. I got to a particular point. There was something I said. I said, no, this you don't go into the store, that into the archive. Then I had to bow down my head and pray. I said, Lord, I hope it's not a prophetic word I'm about to remove. Because John said, if I give you a word, you remove from it, I remove a part of your life. Part of what is yours in the book of life is taken away. This thing was just like two seconds. I was about to cut it off. I had to bow my head and say, Lord, please, oh, I'm about to remove this. I hope it's okay. If it's a prophetic word, let me leave it there. I just feel that the expression may not be very appropriate. I left it for some time. I kept on praying. Finally, my spirit, I felt you can take it out. And I took it away. Because if it offends people, but it's the word of God, I am under judgment for removing it. Because I don't want to offend people. Well, that is a matter of fact. I bring judgment upon myself. That's why Paul said something. He said, I, I have not withheld from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He said, for that reason, I'm innocent of every man's blood. What does that tell you? He could have been guilty of some people's blood. He could have been guilty. So he said, I am innocent. There are times you want to say something, say, mm, if I say it now, this man will think I'm talking about him. God said, let him think so. That's his problem, not yours. And what if you are talking about him? What if I wanted you to talk about him? 
Listen, I was praying to Kenegin earlier. Kenegin said he was going to die at the age of 55. Until God showed him mercy, he was in his 30s. He fell, dislocated very badly his elbow. So they took him to hospital. While he was recovering after this procedure, surgical procedure, to fix his elbow back. And the money was sitting down. The Lord walked in physically. Spiritual things are real. The Lord walked in, took a chair and sat down. And told him, let me tell you why you had to fall. Let me tell you why I had to let that hand break. He said, because the way you were going, you will have not lived beyond the age of 55. He was in his 30s. He said, I called you to be a prophet and a teacher. You have neglected the prophetic office. All you have been doing is teaching. And why? He said, why did he do it? He said, because at that time, there were a lot of T.B. Joshua's, a lot of David Elijah's. So he said he did not want to be joined with them. You know the way it is. Like one reason I don't put my face in posters. You don't see my face in posters. If you see a poster with my face in it, I'm not the one that did it. One of the reasons was I went to Port Harcourt. When I saw posters, I felt like a fool. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Because I saw a lot of foolishness in posters. I'm not saying my face should be in a poster. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying that it's one reason. Sometimes we react to those things. People have asked me, where they will ask, they will ask uh, uh, Tall Reverend, say, where's Pastor's photo? He said, Pastor is not putting his photo, leave it. Just write his name. Those who know him, know his name. Sometimes you just want, you just want to be, you don't want to be grouped with people. In all honesty, the only reason why I see, I'm still called Pastor Banky is because I've been called, for, called Pastor Banky for almost 30 years. It's too late to drop it. In today's Nigeria, I don't want that title. I look back, I wish I had stuck with Brother Banky. Like Brother Agbile. I, I wish I, you know, for me, it's not like a joke. You know, the way boys just play around, you know, it's not in school. So it's stuck. I'm almost ashamed of that title. Can I say that kind of reaction came to him too? So he will be ministering. Two things actually, but it's the main one. He will be ministering. The Lord begin to give him revelation, you understand? He said, if I start talking now, they think I'm coming from synagogue. There were two sides to it. I didn't say this other one, but I will tell that story also to help illustrate what I'm going to say. That there was a time, anytime he goes into the realm of the spirit in ministration, he started getting some revelation about his wife. And it used to scare him that she was going to die. So that would make him back off. Yeah, and she was right. Eventually, I had to pray that matter through, and God granted her life. And she lived longer than him. And she died, I don't know whether longer, but at least she died after he had been dead for about two, three years, you know, or maybe a little longer. But that time they were young, she said the thing used to scare him until one day he took up the matter, prayed, and God granted it to him as a special favor that the woman would live and not die. If he had not prayed that prayer, she was going to die early. But that's another side. This one, he said, He'll be ministering, okay? And suddenly he'll begin to have revelations and all of that. And they'll just say, let them let not group me with all these jokers. And maybe some people will not understand. You have word of knowledge, you have visions. You just, you will shut everything down and continue teaching. Yeah, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers, you know? So one day the Lord said, Lord, look at him and say, this is how people will die. That you would not have lived beyond the age of 55. 
Was he committing any sin like we will know sin? No. Was he lying? He was not lying. But just for restraining himself from talking, he was going to be in trouble. That is one side where, as a preacher, if, I'm, if I want to talk, my mind is doing like, hey, hey I, I, you, you don't know some struggles you go, will go through while preaching. I'm talking, I'm talking, but this time me, I'm praying, I'm considering, I'm asking God, must I say this? Why are you not going to say it? You feel like somebody, ah, once I feel like that, I'll just say, bam, I beg, go and digest that when you get home, I'll say what I want to say. I will not come and die because of you. <laughs> Leave me. Tell you the truth. Tell you the truth. The Lord told him simply, that's how you are going to die at the age of 55. He was in his 30s that time. I have all been wondering what happened to this man of God. The Lord said he needed to break that hand so we could have this discussion. After that, the man didn't care what you thought. He prophesied all the same to save his own life. Was that not what God told Jeremiah? He said, Jeremiah, listen, I'm going to send you to people who are fearful. Powerful men. To see them alone. You pass through DSS, mobile police, brigade of guards. They can put you in prison, and they actually did that to him. They can put you in dungeons. They did that to him. They were tossed into a well. He said, but if I hear that you turned back from delivering my message because you were afraid of them, I will personally disgrace you. That was what Jeremiah went through. He said, listen, if you get there, say what I tell you to say. Anywhere I tell you to go, you must go there. Whatever I put in your mouth, you must say it. He said, I forbid you from being afraid of anybody. If anybody you refuse, if anybody happens, if it happens that you, because of fear, you refuse to deliver my message to anybody, the thing you are afraid of, I will do it to you myself. So the person said, the cure for fear is a bigger fear. So that's the cure for fear. Find something more terrible to be afraid of. And like the way I illustrated it then, said there are two vipers here. You want to run outside. He said there's one lion outside. You will come back inside and come and wait for the vipers. With the vipers, there is hope. <laughs> Maybe you'll be able to kill it before it strikes. So what gave you the boldness to stay with the vipers? The ferocity of the lion outside the door. So Jeremiah prophesied whether he wanted to or not. There was a time he even got tired of everything. So he said, I won't talk again. Then he almost died from pain in his bones. So the word became like fire shot up in my bones. I just had to prophesy. Why? He said, because the word I've been prophesying has brought me only trouble. My friends had left me. If I'm walking on the road, they say the first prophet has come. And, sorry, the prophet of doom. Say, prophet of doom has come. Nobody was giving him offerings. They didn't say it was his birthday. To not buy him a new chariot. At that same time, some prophets were prophesying. In two years, somebody said two years. As I was coming here today, the Lord began to speak to me. And he said in two years, all your troubles will be gone. (laughs) Jeremiah had a yoke on his neck. He took it and broke it. 
said, Thus says the Lord. So Jeremiah left because the Jeremiah had the yoke on his neck, trying to explain to people that this is the yoke that God is putting on your neck. So he left on the road. God said, Go back. He went back. He said, Thus says the Lord. You have removed the yoke of wood. I am replacing it with one of iron. <laughs> they were just prophesying good. But Jeremiah had to say the truth. Otherwise, he got injured if he kept quiet. I hope you're getting my point here. I'm talking about fearing God. The man understood you had to fear God. Because God had told him, if you don't do as I say, the thing you are afraid of, I will do it to you myself. He said, I will disgrace you before those same people that you are afraid of. I want you to know that I'm to explain something. That sometimes, for preachers, if you're a preacher listening to this, I mean, remember then when I wrote the book, um, okay, let me make my statement before I talk about the book. So if you're a preacher listening to this, it's not only what you, it's not just about lying, you should not lie, you should not say what is not true, but then also, you have to be careful that you don't withhold truth by being quiet. It also gets into trouble. Many good Christians, that is how they get into trouble. Good preachers. It's not for lying. It's for refusing to rock the boat. I remember when I first wrote the book, Grace to Prosper. Many years ago, that book is old now. The book is old. I, I, I wrote, if you see the book, the chapter on tithing is at the end. I almost did not put it. I wrote it not out of, I wasn't trying to cause any problems, even though at the end of the day I was told I was causing problems. I heard it from different quarters. I wasn't trying to cause problems. I wrote the book because I heard what people preached. And I said, no, this is not true. I heard a big man say that, look, every non-tighter is going to hell. Now they told me, I heard it with my ears from a tape recording. And I asked ask somebody later, I said, has this man changed his mind? He said, no, he still says it. I heard people say things like, if you're in a church, you're not tithing. Every offering you give is a waste. This is what I said in my presence. I was like, sir, are you trying to joke? Did we invite a comedian this morning? I heard it. I heard this man like, if you don't tithe, your life will be tight. Your life will be tight. I heard it. I heard people say that preaching. They said, I can never employ somebody who's not tithing. I heard them say, women, don't marry a woman that, they, don't do it, sorry. They said, women, don't marry a man that does not tithe. Because if he can steal from God, he will steal from you. <laughs> I said, this handshake has gone beyond the elbow. It has even crossed the shoulder now. In fact, this one it has crossed the neck. It's now gripping the neck. I said, no, 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 no. This is not right. If you want to charge a tithe in your church, your denomination, that's your problem. I don't have any problem with it. It's a free country. But please, you can't make these statements. They are not founded on the word of God. So I sat down and I wrote things that I meditated on for ah, over 15 years. I, went, I wrote that chapter at least three times. First time I wrote it, I said, no, this looks like you are angry with somebody. You are fighting. I threw that one away. I wrote it again. Finally, I said, no, this is the best way. 
question and answer. I'll ask a question, I'll give the answer based on scriptures. When I finished writing it, I said, no, this will be a problem. Because it's a very popular doctrine all around. So one of my friends, Chuk, I, was out, I went to his house in Transsecuro. They were still living in Transsecuro. He now made a statement, which is the reason why I didn't look back again. He said, if indeed it is the truth, it has to be told. That is, one day, somebody has to say it. Oh, so he fell upon me to say it. So I put it inside the book. And the week the book came out, my problems began. The moment the book showed up, the problems began. People who did not read it, they went to that section. They didn't read the book. They did not. That is, the book is one of the biggest of our, at least that time it was one of the biggest. They did not read it. They went to the back. That thing was less than 15% of the book. They went to the back and read it. And instead of coming to me to say, please, uh, Pastor Ban, can you explain what to me? Let's have a discussion. They went to be showing other people. He said we should not tight. He said we should not tight. He said we should not tight. Was I surprised? I don't know. I don't think I was really surprised. After all, I mean, I almost did not put inside the book until my friend said, if it is the truth, it has to be told. And what I said at the end of it, of course, is that the generous giver is a New Testament tither. And I stand by that statement and I stand by it till today. And if last year or two years ago, that the freeze now picked up the matter and many of the proponents began to come against it and say, no, it's not the word of God. But I said, oh, one man now tweeted. He said they should have listened to Pastor Banky long ago. They would not have had this trouble. What am I going to explain here? We have to fear God. Why did I put it in there? I said, lest I be held responsible. You know, now I feel comfortable to, I, I mean, the pressure has, has passed. Now I now become a point which people used to argue. <laughs> you understand? Like, no, let's see what Pastor Bank is. I say, hey, it has not reached that point. So, the, 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 the field is now level. But when I first put it inside there, I almost did not. Until I remember that day in Transsequilo. My friend said, if it is the truth, it has to be told. I said, in that case, it goes into the book. It goes into the book. So we took it to the publisher, to the printer. And the book came out. We need to fear God. That's the point I'm making. The fear of God simply means I un- listen. Let me say it again. It's not reverence. Not the reverence. So when I see the Lord, I just want to hug Him. In His presence, I feel this awe. I feel this awe. This awe. Things that have no meaning to most people who say them. So there's a reverence with which you approach God. There is a reverence. There is a reverence. You'll be asking, so what does that mean? Let me tell you what they call the fear of God. I don't collect bribes because if I do, he will judge. That's not reverential. There's nothing reverence in it. It's fear. I have checked all kinds. The Greek word for fear is fear. The Hebrew word for fear is fear. The Hebrew word for fear is fear. Don't reverential the thing. So I just feel the sense of awe in his presence. There's this light unapproachable. Let me tell you why the people did not approach the light. 
if they went, it's radiation. Are you getting my point? You go near the light, you are fried. Don't make it look like uh, this light is so holy, they don't want to touch. No. When the mountain was blazing, will you see man that is blazing, you will go there. Don't make it look like they saw blazing mountain and they felt like worshipping. Boys ran. No, we build a lot of words around the fear of God. At the end of the day, even God does not understand what we are talking about. People who have a reverential fear of God, on Monday morning, they will be collecting bribes. They have a reverent, they, no, there's this awe of God they felt on Sunday. There's this awe of God. Then on Tuesday, the lecturer is asking the girl to see him before she can collect Mark. Yet on Sunday, he said, I know I'm a man of God. There's awe. There's this awe. But when, I just, when, I'm, when I'm in a place of worship, I just get lost in his presence. Just be looking at the person. God says, find yourself in my presence. That's not what I'm talking about. When you leave here on Monday, let me see what you do. Let me see whether your receipts are correct. Let me see whether if you are selling fuel, well, your one liter is one liter or 0.85. That is what I want to know. This is my reverential, reverential fear. That does not affect how you behave. I don't want it. That is what God is saying. Don't deal any reverential fear with me if it does not affect how you relate with people in integrity, in righteousness, in holiness. I don't want any reverence. There was, a, there was a time Israel, what they did was to pack a lot of sacrifice. God said, I'm tired of sacrifices. So they have become odious in my nostrils. Why? The people bringing the sacrifices, they are walking in sin. They were fasting and fasting and fasting. He said, what do I want to do with your fast? He said, you know what I call a fast? He said, let me explain to you what I call a fast. It is to desist from doing wickedness. It's to show kindness to people that need it. He said, what is all this going hungry and everybody is looking like I'm 40 days fasting in my presence? He said, get up, eat, go out and do good. I'm fine. That's what Christians need to understand. The fear of God is not theoretical. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Let me tell you what it is. It is fear. It is fear. What do I mean by fear? They are, look, there are prayers I pray sometimes. I was still praying this morning. I said, Lord, please, oh, these decisions, they are crucial. Be. I'm afraid that if I don't make some decisions, or I make the wrong decisions, it will affect my destiny permanently. That's what we're talking about, fear. That's what they call fear. It's not reverence. <laughs> One thing just dropped in my mind. Sounds funny, but I'll give us an example of fear. That the brother comes and says, marry me. You are single. And then you, by the time you are praying about it, you understand my point? You are praying about it with the fear of God in your mind. Like, ha, hey, hey. if I say no now, what will God say? That you literally take the matter to God. Say, Lord, please, eh? I'm not saying I don't like him. I'm not saying I like him. But <laughs> let's just get it clear. This, this, and these are the issues. My own is I don't want to make my decisions in such a manner that will be displeasing to you so that the next 20 years I'm still paying for disobedience. Why was I listening to somebody recently? There was a message I was listening to. Was it you? Who was preaching? I think maybe it was yesterday that Pastor Murphy was preaching at the All Believers uh, uh, Prayer Conference. Was it where I heard it when he said that Yongi Cho? Okay, was, was, was it yesterday? 
that young Kicho did something. And he was praying and praying. God said, forget that. You are going to be there for 10 years. Can I remind me what it was? Do you remember? Yes. Okay, yes. He had a heart issue. It was always collapsing. <laughs> he now went and prayed. The Lord didn't listen to that one. Forget praying about it. You are going to be collapsing for the next 10 years. Why? Because he wanted to build church his own way. God said, there's no problem. Build it your own way. Collapse is your portion. 10 years of collapsing. So anyway, you are going to just carry chairs so that before you collapse. <laughs> that God said to him, forget it. 10 years. You think it's a joke. When Paul said, I, I besought the Lord three times. And the Lord said, no. Forget it. We have tried to twist it. I heard people say that God was saying that grace gives you the ability to rebuke the thorns. I said, bro, this language must have a meaning now. We can't be, it's not every time we want to understand, we have to come to people who help us twist it. The same Kenegin I was telling you about, he said when he got up from that place, he said God told him something, that that your hand is going to heal very quickly, but to heal 99%. So he said, the Lord, please, excuse me. Did, did you just say 99%? He said, yes. Not 100. He said, no, I'm not healing it 100%. Why not? He said, you need a constant reminder not to disobey. Listen, when you hear men preach some things, listen to other things they did not say. Listen closely. The same man said that God does not say no. God told him that 1% is my portion. 99 you can take. And he said when he was preaching, years later, he said, I hardly noticed it, just occasionally. Maybe after I walked for some time, the, the place will ache. But the Lord did not let him ever forget. So anytime he, he, he gets the ache in that elbow, he will know, oh boy, prophesy. <laughs> Prophet, prophesy, papa. <laughs> prophesy. He will start prophesying. That this 1% disability in my elbow is better than premature death. That's what they call fear. Fear that I want to make a decision. I know that if I get it wrong, I may be stuck with the consequences of disobedience. Not for mistakes. Mistakes are different. I'm talking about disobedience. One of the things I I learned long ago, and you've heard me teach it, is that if I want to make a decision, I don't want to hear God say later, but I told you. That thing, no one says something scares me. It scares me. Let me tell you about fear. There are times I look back and I know that I've preached this for a long time. And this is that we preach applies to us also. So I look and say, I tell you that what you will be at the age of 60 is not decided when you are 50 or when you are 40. In all probability, it was decided when you were 18, 20, 25. Depending on when the understanding of God came to you. I will preach it and get goose pimples. I don't know whether I get my point. But I'm afraid for myself too. There are those who are laboring every day. God said, let him labor. He's not going anywhere. Why? How did he get here? He will put, he said, listen, 15 years ago I told him this, this and that. His friend said this, this and that one. He followed his friends and did not follow me. He will gather, I will scatter. This is it. Please, if anybody preaches another gospel of grace to you, they are lying to you. What I'm telling you is scripture. It's the word of God. 
You don't take God for granted. Anytime you say, don't worry, he will show mercy, is the reason why you will not see that mercy. That you deliberately open your eyes and turn to disobedience. <laughs> People of God, let's not joke. Let's not joke with the Lord. Let's not joke with the Lord. The prince said once he went to a retreat. He spent I forgot how many months. As a 70-something-year-old man, digging up everything that was wrong in his heart, wrong in his life, as the Holy Spirit was showing it to him, confessing and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. We won't do like this again. So this was a mistake. We will not do this again. Someone come and preach a gospel. They say, don't worry, I'm a gracious God. No. No. I've said the thing that grace does is to empower us to do what is right. And anytime we give an excuse for doing what is wrong, God says, you don't understand. You are denying the power of grace. That's what you are doing. You are denying the power of grace. I said to the Lord at the time, one thing I don't want in life is to be trapped. This is, I'm understanding what Paul meant when he said that we are groaning not to be unclothed, but to be clothed with another body. Listen. Naturally speaking, I'm a medically trained person. I'm a medical doctor. I see all kinds of things. And I know how diseases and sicknesses can trap people. So I know that sometimes I just look and say, God, please, let me not walk in such a manner that I will be trapped. That's what they call fear. Because God is judged. There's no trap that can keep somebody inside except he authorizes it. And the fact that you are his child does not exempt you from consequences of disobedience. That is one thing, you know, grace preachers must understand. What grace does is help you do what is right. Those of you who came in, like, you saw the kind of example I gave. That if you know the consequences in the span of your life in how you treat your husband and your wife too, I should add that one to it. Fear. You will think twice before you do some things. Let me tell you, talk about fear. <laughs> Once, my wife upset me. It was a Saturday. And it happens. He's mindful that she's bought flesh. <laughs> and I'm bought flesh too. <laughs> but you see my gist. That day I was so upset. I picked my phone. I was about to call. Well, now we have two Israels. I have to tell you which one. I was about to call senior Israel. To give a message to somebody or call uh, Pastor Okimuti or somebody. I can't remember now. I, I was so upset, I said, I can't preach. So I picked the phone to call. I had picked the phone, they about to start dialing. That I won't come to Bible study, that that I'm not in a good state of mind. The Holy Spirit just taught me, so what will you say when God comes to your house at 5.30? It is the time you are supposed to be on the pulpit in Kingdom of Ministries preaching. What will you say to him? You know what came to my mind? That, that this, I was, I, I was just telling myself, this is the kind of thing you would have to say. That the woman you gave me, prevented me from doing the work that you commissioned me to do. Is that a blessing for her or a curse? Is that a petition on her side or accusation? When I, now, it wasn't about me now. When I saw that two people were about to get into trouble, I put my feeling aside, dressed up, came to kingdom, received the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and prayed for the one and the other hours, and went back home. 
I said, let it not go on record. I said, if I miss Bible study that day, I have accused this woman before God. And I've accused myself too. Listen, you know, I don't want trouble. I don't want trouble for my soul. So I put all my feelings aside. Dust my Bible. Carry it over there. Let, the, let angels not... Listen, in the mountain of God, it shall be provided for. I cannot be at home when I'm supposed to be here. It's out of order. I mean, I remember that I just said, what will I tell the Lord? What will I tell him? I will now become an accuser instead of a defender. I will become an accuser instead of an advocate. You know when the Bible says, I put my body under? I told the people, it's not hunger. He said, I won't eat. and put Eating food is not a sin. I hope you get my point. If you're hungry, go and eat. That's not putting your body under. That one I just told them is what they call putting the body under. All the feeling of, I'm, I'm upset, I'm upset. Look, my mother would say that it's because there's no vision. That's why you don't have energy. That when you have vision, energy will come. When I saw the consequences of that simply staying at home, I was not sick. Nothing was occupying my time. I was not tired. I was just angry. You know, husband is upset. So the work of God will suffer. People have left their homes. They have prayed. They said, God, speak to me today. And they expect that I will be there preaching the word of God to them. I will not be at home say, my wife will upset me. Because it's not your fault now. It's that you have a wife. That's why you're telling me this kind of nonsense. You know, there are things you don't... You know, if I say something, some people think, are ah, you not being too hard? Don't... You know, one day God looked at Ezekiel and said, I'm about to remove your wife. Your wife is going to die. You must not cry. You know, that's why I mean, Lord, I'm not saying, I'm just telling them, I'm not saying to you. That's why I don't want to be a prophet. <laughs> How can you come collect a man's wife they tell him not to cry. If you see the way this, it didn't say your wife. Oh. It's something like the love of your youth. I am going to take her by the end of today. And now, let me tell you, you will not shed a tear. Like this prophetic office, is it by force? Different prophets, different troubles. <laughs> Jeremiah, let's not talk about Jeremiah. So. But what I'm making is that sometimes, you don't want God to come and give you that kind of thing. Because if, as you, for example, now, you're a preacher. As an example, of course, I keep on using preachers because that's what I am. Every day, why didn't you go to preach? My wife upset me. God said, okay, wait, wait, wait. Who do I kill? You or her? Just make up your mind now. Because this work must go on. You think God is so attached to the roads and you bought a new car, you have to drive it first? No, he's not attached to it too. Eternity is more beautiful than here. So sometimes if you are not useful here, it takes you to say, okay, go, go, go and rest, go and rest. This every day of seven, my wife was sweating, my husband was sweating. That's why nothing, we, no progress we made on this earth. I was telling you, one, one big man of God, a man, if I mention his name, all of you here will know. When his wife died, eh? one of my brothers, one of our senior brothers, he was among those who conducted the autopsy. They found nothing wrong with her. When he told me the diagnosis they gave, I just looked. I said, Shibi, I'm, I'm also in the profession. I'm a pathologist too. So that's a nice way of telling us that you people didn't find anything. Because you see, there's the way this work is. At the end of the day, 
If they do autopsy, do autopsy. If your hair is not well shaped, you say that it's bad shaving, I kill you. If you can't find any other thing, that is anything that looks out of place has to be blamed. When he told me the reason why they said the woman died, I said, no, that doesn't fly. Basically, as far as I was concerned, there was nothing wrong. Before that, I now heard that he and that man, all they ever did was fight. So when they go, just got tired. So okay, enough for fighting in this family. Who's going? Christians need to fear God. You can't just do anything like that. You think there will, be, there will be no consequences? You're kidding. Which kind of father behaves like that? But because the church has not been taught, they, be, they keep on behaving anyhow. After Ananias and Sapphira, nobody lied in that church for a long time. Nobody. Lie over what? In fact, some people stop giving offering. Less the money is not complete. Because... <laughs> You know what Peter said now? Peter said that before you sold the land, it was your own. After you sold it, it was your own. Why did you, why did you have to come and lie? He said, now offering cost fight, Abby. I'm not giving again. Let me not be blessed. At least I won't die. <laughs> no, that's what happened. Look, believe me. I've, great fear came upon everybody. Everybody in that church became afraid. Before you greet people, good money, you look. Good morning. I want to be sure it's morning because you go and greet Peter. Good morning now. And this evening, say, why have you lied about the time of the day? <laughs> you know, I'm sure after that day, when Peter is coming, boss will be passing the other side. Pass the other side. <laughs> One man, an elderly man, he has passed on to be with the Lord now. He said, do this. When you see, when, um, uh, what's his name? Pa Elton. That Pa Elton will come. That he will be afraid. He will, that is like, don't let the man see me. I said, why, sir? He said, the man looked like God tells him every wrong thing you are doing. <laughs> don't just see Pa Elton. Just know, hey, I'm in trouble. That God will reveal all my life secret to this man. So if Pa Elton is coming, he will just dodge. He said, I look when you see Pyelton, that fear will just that is just see the man. You will be afraid of God. <laughs> because you know the man will soon call you and say, Come, that money inside the drawer, where did they come from? <laughs> the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Let's get back to our message. All of you just introduce what I wanted to say. Alright? Okay. <laughs> but you, you are getting the point. So we read from there. So now this is a message. Of course, I'll be brief about it. You've gotten the point so far. Uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I said I wanted to speak about neither more more ye. Remember that? Yes. So the people in Israel, what happened to them? Paul said that, let's get down to that verse. Um, let me just have on verse 6. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. He said, do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Now let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. Now let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed 
by the serpents. Nor grumble, that is, we must not grumble, as some did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. He now said, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, we provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Now, let me just um, say something about this, and I will close. We won't spend, uh, spend too much time. Where I wanted to emphasize on is that one where he says that, no, sh- that we should not grumble. But just like going over this again, all these things that they did, the Bible says they were written so that we would take instruction. That we must not crave evil things. Anything you desire in life, make sure it's a holy thing, it's a pure thing. That we must not be idolaters. Now having said all of these things, he now says, let him who thinks he stands, take heed that he does not fall. That is, sometimes you say, let them, do not be idolaters. And you assume that it is them, it is not me. I hope you get my point. For example, when you talk about covetousness, most people think that because they are not rich, they can't be covetous. Do you follow my point here? Yes, a lot of people think so. And that's what he's talking about. That is, there are people who think that this is what we are saying, they don't affect me because I do not behave in that particular way. But what was he saying? No, what we should do is to you know, check ourselves, pray about matters, examine your life to be sure. He said, because if you think you are standing, you may, it may actually be that you're on your way down, you just don't realize it. After all, every man's way is right in his own eyes. And like I said earlier, no matter, listen, God never, God never ever blesses disobedience. Let me say that again. He never blesses disobedience, even if it's a mistake. Did you hear what I said? Even if you are not doing it deliberately, if you are doing what is wrong, Let's even leave disobedience, which maybe you know. But if something is wrong, God will never bless it. The best he can do is not judge it because he feels that you did not do it deliberately. I hope you are getting my point here. If you do what is wrong because you, you are stubborn, you've been corrected, and you refuse to take correction, then you will experience the judgment. But if you do what is wrong because you do not know that it is wrong. It still will not go well. It's just that there will be no deliberate punishment. Judgment applied. What God does, however, is to bring to your attention that what you are doing is wrong so you can correct it. But he will never pour a blessing upon you when you are walking in what is not right. A number of reasons. Number one, it doesn't work like that anyway. It can't even work. If you pour the blessing upon you, you will lose it. That is, if God gives a blessing to somebody who can't hold it, because there's a difference between receiving a blessing and being able to hold it. I like one of my pastors said those days. He said, if they dash you, I remember, 5 million naira or so, but you only have the capacity to handle 50,000 naira, you will waste the money until it remains only 50,000. Then after that one, you will be balanced. Do you hear what I said? That is, your capacity, your inner capacity to handle funds is 50,000 naira. But somebody for one, maybe you went and played the lottery. 
or uh, you know, you play bet something. That's why you bet one rubbish bet. You now won by accident fifty-five million naira. He said, if your inner capacity is to hold fifty thousand naira, you will waste four million naira. You will waste nine hundred thousand. Then waste another fifty thousand. Then when the money remains fifty thousand, suddenly your senses will come back. You will not be able to handle it properly, and that one will not waste. And that's what I mean when I say that God does. That's why he cannot pour a blessing if somebody is working wrongly. Because even, even if he did, he will waste it. <laughs> My pastor said something, something one of those one in Lagos. He said that there's no point having 10 keys on how to get a good husband when you can lose it with one moment of bad behavior. <laughs> he said 10 principles of attracting the right man. He said, okay. If one moment of bad behavior will spoil the whole thing, the Bible says one sinner destroys much good. A little living leaves the whole long. He said the ten points are useless. That's the point I'm making. That God, God is saying is that I, even if I wanted to, I can't. Please understand when I, when I say God can't do something. It is the way He has set it. I'm not the one that wrote the laws. He did. So if He loves somebody, what does He do? He will teach him in the way that he should choose. He doesn't just pour a blessing, he teaches. The first sign of God's blessing and God's love is correction. He starts correcting, he starts rearranging. And that's why he was telling the people here, yes, there's a blessing for us as believers. But if we are not careful to deliberately refuse to walk the way these people walk, no matter how great the blessings are, we will never experience them. So began to itemize. Don't be idolaters. I wanted to talk about the grumbling side, but for time's sake, I think I'll just talk about everything generally, then we'll close. So began to itemize, don't be idolaters. No matter how much God loves you, if he finds idolatry in your heart, you cut off the blessing. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You shut it off. You shut it off. So if you want the blessing to flow, I check my life and say, where is idolatry? Like last week, in the last Saturday, what, what did I teach upon? The fact that God is coming to judge everything that his children have depended upon apart from him. And it's not anger. It's, just, it's a blessing. Did you hear what I said? What did I say? It's not angry. What is it? It's a blessing. Because God thinks, he thinks beyond you. I mean, like, it's not just you. You have children. When I say children, not just your natural children, that's one. But the people who come after you, because the body of Christ, it takes us as a whole. There are Christians who will come after you. They have to make the kind of progress you did not make in your lifetime. And to him, it's important. Generations are perfected by subsequent generations. There are things you will do in this generation, and God is happy with it, and he says it's enough. But that it cannot be enough for the next generation. They have to go beyond that. So he uses your life to teach them some points. That's how it works. So if some things are not right, like now, talking about that idolatry thing, God will judge every idolatry. Listen. If God says, stay in one country, and you now say, no, prosperity is another one. You say, no problem. Go. Go. There's no trouble. He doesn't have to try to frustrate you. You are frustrated already. What I mean is this. In the mountain of God, it shall be provided for, right? If you leave the mountain, you don't go to the place where you should go. It's automatic. The only problem is that it may take a while to manifest. And that's the one that pains me. You will take a wrong decision and you don't realize it's wrong for 20 years. Okay, when you now finally realize it's wrong, you are now 55. What are you going to do? That's why I say what I say all the time. 
pray that God, may my wrong decisions, my wrong choices never be blessed. It's an important prayer. So I can be corrected early. Israel, ah, it, it would have been good if Israel did not get Saul. Because when they got Saul, they got immediate results and victory over the Ammonites. For that reason, they did not realize that this is the wrong way. It would have been better if the Ammonites had destroyed them with Saul as king. For adventure, they would have come back to Samuel and said, Samuel, our way is not working. What is the right way? I hope you're getting my point here. What am I going to say? So God, he judges idolatry for that reason. It's a blessing. He said, look, if I don't do it, people will get used to what is not right. And then the blessing on the subsequent generations will be denied them. So it frustrates one generation so as to expand the blessing in their descendants. What's the frustration about? Idolatry. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. Then he mentioned that, now let us act immorally as some of them did. And 3,000 fell in one day. The way we live, Paul said, later on he was writing to the Thessalonians, we must learn how to possess our bodies in sanctification. Because if we don't, what we are doing is that we are shortchanging, we are reducing God's ability to pour his blessing upon us. He said, Now let us try the Lord, as some did, and were destroyed by the serpents. And anybody who says because of grace and mercy can do what is right and nothing will happen, is guilty of trying the Lord. Yeah, that's what it is. The fellow is guilty of trying the Lord. And last of all, which is where I wanted to begin from, he said, no, let me use the King James expression. So in verse 10, King James says, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. What I want to bring out from there, and I'll close with it as I introduce it, maybe we'll continue next time. Murmuring is the opposite of thanksgiving. Yeah, that's what it is. Murmuring is the opposite of thanksgiving. And listen to this, everybody who murmurs, at least most people, let, let me not say everybody, assumes that he has a legitimate reason to murmur, but it does, it does not make the fellow excusable. There are no troubles you have enough to make you excusable when it comes to murmuring. Neither murmur ye. That's what I want to teach about today, but we have to set this foundation. God takes it very personal. Because why am I talking about this? I believe it's a prophetic correction. Because, you know, you belong, you belong to WhatsApp chat groups. I don't know. You, are you getting my point? Especially when they are not believers. Because, because of other interactions, I belong to a number of chat groups where people are not believers, you know? And I found out that the general culture of people is to murmur. Murmuring is a culture. It's a culture with human beings. Don't think you are murmuring because you're in Nigeria. Americans murmur as much as you do. Yes, they do. They do. They murmur as much as Nigerians do. Murmuring is a human thing. Britons murmur. Is it Canada? Canadians murmur. They murmured for a long time because Igbo was not legalized. I, I, saw, I didn't know it would happen. I saw it on TV. People complain about the fact that they have not legalized the smoking of um, Indian hemp. I didn't know in my lifetime I would see it happen. And I remember that day that man was arguing that, that they say that it causes mental problems. 
that it doesn't. And he and his friend, they obviously they are smokers, you know, they smoke the same. And I felt like saying that, do you guys look normal to you? <laughs> People have things to murmur about all the time. One of the problems Donald Trump is having is that he's refusing to follow what the, all these you know, Kyoto Protocol, all these global warming things, because he says that, now nah, I want to put my own words, that many of these things are the products of murmuring. That they were not happy with our situation. So we murmur so much, we have to find, we, have, we start taking upon ourselves things that we can't, because if you go and check it very well, now this is my opinion, this is not the Bible, this is just, just because I'm the one preaching so I can say anything I like from here. And then, <laughs> no, no, this is not even my opinion, this is scientific opinion. That most of the decisions they say they should take concerning global warming will not work. But the point I'm making is that but people wake up every day, murmur about the weather. The roads you think they are, they are good, some are murmuring that it's not enough. A, a country like the United States, they have so much, do you understand what, what they call food? They have food, plenty. That one of the first habits any working person learns in that country is how to waste food. Yet, my friend went to his sister's house. He said, Banky, my, sis, my sister's children are malnourished in America. I said, what happened? No, he said, money is not the problem. I said, what is the problem? That they have to eat organic and because organic is expensive, they are not getting enough food to eat. And that the lady has said she's not eating the normal food. So the normal egg they sell in the shops, she will not buy. The normal milk, she will not buy. We only go into the organic shops. So what does that got to do with murmuring? We'll talk about it. People murmur. That is, you'll be amazed that in the midst of such abundance, people will still have something to complain about. Yes, people have something to complain about. My emphasis is that it's not because your road is bad. No, that's not why you're murmuring. It's not because you don't have enough money. That's not why you're murmuring. It's not because power is not constant. That's not why you're murmuring. It's because you're not full of thanksgiving. Murmuring is a bad habit. It's just a bad habit. It's a habit people form. And I want to, because I feel that it's so strong on God's mind that his people murmur too much. Many of the blessings that he will have given to them, we'll see later in the case of Hagar. They can't see it because they are full of murmuring. Listen, the habit of thanksgiving is crucial to unlocking the blessings of God in Christians' lives. And listen, if it will have come naturally, we won't be here talking about it. I hope you're getting my point. If it will have come naturally, we will not be here talking about it. Why are we talking about it? Because it does not come naturally. It is more natural to murmur. It's more natural to grumble. It's more natural to identify the things that you don't have. And that will be the basis of your decision making for the day. It's very easy to get used to the blessings that God has packed around you that you don't even notice them. You know, it's so easy to forget. Israel just left captivity. And they were already complaining about what they did not have. Once in the house, my children and I played a small game. I said, what would you like to have? Now, I asked each one of them. Everybody had an idea of what they would like to have. Which, of course, I have refused to buy up to that point. Or I don't have the means to buy. And then finally, we closed that one. I said, let's start counting the things that you have already. And I gave them a small guide so that they will know how to count it. Don't forget to count the bed you are sleeping on. Don't take it for granted. Don't forget to count the water that's always available. Don't forget to count it. Don't forget the fact that you go to school. Don't forget to count it. So they began to count. And they counted. And we kept on counting. 
So that was the lesson for that morning's Bible uh, uh, lesson, that, that morning's devotion, that there's so much to thank God for if you just bother to look out for those things and count them. That's why the old songwriter said, count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you. That's the key word here. It will surprise you what the Lord has done. I'll pick it up from that point next time. Can we bow down here to give the Lord thanks for today? Let's just give the Lord thanks for today. Let's say, Lord, thank you for instruction. Thank you for mercy. Because mercy is the reason why we have instruction today. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for correction. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for correction. Let's thank him for new light. Just open your mouth and bless the name of the Lord indeed. Bless him for that which I have heard today. Thank him that a new spirit has been imparted to you. Thank you for a fresh, fresh revelation again.